In February 2021, the Biden administration began the process to unwind the Migrant Protection Protocols Policy, also known as Remain in Mexico. At the South Texas border, the program had pushed thousands of migrants into a makeshift refugee encampment in Matamoros, Mexico. In the 10 days following an announcement to close the encampment, the United Nations began a humanitarian operation that unified the efforts of residents of the encampment, U.S.-based grassroots advocates, and local attorneys to safely process everyone into the United States. I am Laura Peña, attorney, advocate, born and raised in the Rio Grande Valley, and I'll be your guide as we journey through Valle de Sueños, Valley of Dreams. Previously on Valle de Sueños. Emotions were running high as the first group was set to officially enter the United States. It felt like we were all holding our breath. Ah, waiting while waiting. Well, everybody was anxious because nobody nobody knew if, if that day arrived finally at the, at, at the bus station. Everybody was asking why they are taking so long. I mean, it, it was an environment of anxiety waiting, waiting for them, yeah. We walked through the station towards the bus arrivals. As I entered the outdoor area, I felt like I was joining a pachanga. People were laughing, hugging, even dancing. There was a buzz in the air that felt contagious. Reporters interviewed mothers crying tears of joy. Volunteer attorneys reviewed paperwork. Organizers helped coordinate flights and buses. People held each other in long embraces, face masks and shields posing no barrier to the strong human connection felt by all. I ran into an elderly Cuban woman, Hortensia, who had been a member of Las Damas en Blanco, the ladies in white, an opposition group made up of wives and family members of political dissidents. She embraced me and filmed us for her TikTok account. She promised to let me know when she made it safely to Dallas. I drove home later that evening, exhausted but thrilled that things had gone so smoothly. But a voice in the back of my head cautioned against too much joy because hundreds of people were still in Matamoros waiting. The White House indicated the operation had to be completed swiftly, but when it comes to the politics of the border, Things can shift rapidly from one day to the next. I woke up the next morning feeling jazzed. After four years of hellish encounters on that same international bridge, yesterday had still felt too good to be true. It was a day of hope. People coming were crying. They feel the emotion, a strong emotion for being finally in the United States. This is my friend and advocate, Luis Holmes. Luis is a Venezuelan-trained attorney who has lived in the Valley the last several years, serving recently arrived migrants. I am an immigrant too, and I feel totally identified with them. My grandpa came from Lebanon when he was a, a kid. And when I visited Matamoros, I remember the story of my family. For me, it was not only a job, but a, but a mission as a human rights activist, trying to help them. Some of them were people that I, I, I had been working with them for one and a half years or more. 
and I feel so happy, so happy. It was a wonderful opportunity to abrazarlos, saber que ellos estaban acá, and welcoming them. I cried too. We expected 100 people to cross on day two, and we felt optimistic. I made my way to Matamoros by 6 a.m. Mornings in the camp are the most special. It's the calmest part of the day, and kids are running around, usually quietly, as adults are just getting their affairs in order. You can observe clothes being pulled off the laundry line, water boiling on campfires for coffee, radios softly buzzing with the news. But on the second day of the humanitarian effort, I walked around at 6 a.m. and it felt like midday. Everyone was wide awake and busy sweeping, packing, or hunched over excitedly chatting with their neighbors. It had appeared that nobody had slept. One of our committee groups, the Sidewalk School for Asylum Seekers, provided breakfast tacos for everyone that morning. Breakfast tacos, we did a mixture of, of everything. The asylum seekers in the Matamoros encampment were pretty easy. This is Felicia Rangel Sampanaro, the co-founder of the Sidewalk School for Asylum Seekers. If they didn't like something, they would like just switch. <laughs> like with, you know, their friend or family member. Um, just the important part was just getting food into the camp, which is what we did. Working with people in the encampment often meant we had to wear a lot of hats from food distribution to pet sitting. We also had to cross people's pets. That's something else that we that no one ever talks about. We had to cross people's cats and dog. These were people's homes. They lived here for a while. We had to take care of people's pets. So it was like that, I guess. Things were actually going smoothly. People were making their way to the buses and over to the U.S. side of the border. Jody and I walked down the road to a corner for food. As we sat down with our lunches, Jody's phone rang. It was David. And just a note here that we've changed the names of asylum seekers and migrants for their privacy and safety. Now, David was frantic. He had just learned that he wouldn't be able to cross with his pregnant partner, Suraya, because his asylum case had already been heard and denied. There were a couple of different families that had what we eventually termed mixed status because some of the family would have an active MPP case. Some people didn't because they'd already lost their case or maybe they were never even processed into MPP. That one case in particular, his partner and their daughter had active cases and they they were able to cross and they had to make the choice, you know, do we all stay here because he had already lost his case? Or do we let, you know, mom and daughter cross and leave dad in, in the camp? But that happened a lot. I mean, it, it, I mean that was, it was certainly not an isolated incident, yeah. On the other side of the camp, Angel, another attorney, was having a difficult conversation with Suraya and her daughter. You know, we did have one conversation. They were trying to give her the option, you know, you have been approved but your husband has not been approved. So now the decision comes into like whether you want to cross or not. You can decide going on today, going tomorrow, whatever, um, but your husband has not been approved. So just having to make that decision was pretty hard. 
he was in an advanced stage in her pregnancy, so like that was part of the, the equation there. Via the Sueños will return. Hi, Laura here. Valle de Sueños is an independently produced podcast, so if you're enjoying what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a rating. It really does help. And if you know someone you think might enjoy this story, send it their way. Really appreciate it. Now, back to the episode. I returned to the white tents where the next group awaited the results of their COVID tests. My phone buzzed with a series of notifications. Elsewhere in the camp, Mexican immigration officials had begun tearing down tents of the families who had left the day before. A familiar tightening of my stomach returned. They had already started tearing stuff down before the last group even left, which made it worse, in my opinion. Like, here's this group of people living there, and you guys are, like, literally bulldozing stuff around them. So as people were packing up to leave their homes, Mexican officials were razoring their neighborhoods. The camp was quite large. Sister Norma Pimentel from Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. A lot of families were living in these small camping tents. Among the NGOs, Sister Norma had become a quasi-government actor on behalf of the church in the encampment and often explained the Mexican government's rationale. INM, who is the entity in Mexico, federal government, that had the responsibility overseeing the camp, they feared that if the tents that were being emptied, if they set up, would probably be refilled by those who would find a way inside of the camp and occupy them, so they made the decision to dismantle all those tents. Still, this made no sense to me. The entire encampment was surrounded by tall wire fencing. Guards had been posted outside the perimeter since the United Nations had posted up inside to prepare for the humanitarian effort. Unless you had a badge, nobody could come into the encampment, and at the same time, nobody could leave. David and Suraya had come to a decision. Mother and daughter would be crossing into the United States while David stayed behind with an uncertain path forward, not knowing if that was their final goodbye. A moment that for everyone else was joy. Um, and you can tell like everyone was happy. You know, we are in the other side of the, of the bridge. We're in the, in the bus station. Um, and for this lady, you can just sense like something was different. So for her, that moment of joy was twisted completely and it became, you know, a horror for her. And, you know, you can just see her like devastated. Two people that love each other that were going to be separated and not know whether they that other person was going to be allowed to enter or not, you know. It was an unknown, you know, and uh, they're telling me, Madre, lléveme con usted. Help me to get to the other side, you know, and uh, and I say, Mijo, I can't, you know. I can only be here with you. I can only help you feel better right now as much as I can. By the end of day two in Matamoros, 100 people were supposed to leave the encampment but only 99 crossed. 
It was the first sign that this effort might unravel. But for possibly the first time in two years, the residents of the encampment and American activists had one common objective, leave no one behind. We'll be back after the holiday break with more episodes of Valle de Sueños. As we close out the year, I wish everyone lots of laughter with loved ones, a full belly and warm clothes, and an opportunity for peaceful reflection. Valle de Sueños is produced by Selena Peña, Charlie Vela, and me, made in partnership with Trucha RGV. Edited and original theme composed by Charlie Vela. Written and hosted by me, Laura Peña with artwork by Monica Lugo. Music in this episode is courtesy of Epidemic Sound. For a full track listing, check the show notes. For more information about Valle de Sueños, please visit us online at valladesueños.com with a regular 